Welcome back to N10 with myself and Joe here with you after the trade deadline, post-trade deadline to be exact. That is the title name for this episode. And we're going to go right into it with starting with the Habitant of Montreal. The Montreal Canadiens made a lot of moves during this trade deadline spell. And I think to be a Habs fan like yourself, Joe, it's a pretty happy time to see the return of the players they traded away. So we'll dive right into the Montreal Canadiens, what they did for the trade deadline. Yeah, like I'm like you said, like happy is like an understatement. Like they were a lot busier on the actual trade deadline day than I thought they were going to be. Because um, I remember like we talked about the bench rock deal uh, last week and then two more moves happened uh, over the course of Monday and the weekend. So in for Montreal, so all the trades they made, this is what's coming into the organization. So a 2022 second and fourth round picks, a 2023 first round pick, a 2024 second and seventh round pick, and prospects Ty Silmanak, Justin Barron, Nate Schnarr, and Will, well, Will Leggenson's like a borderline NHL player. And of course, out Sherratt, like we talked about last week. And then the big deadline day moves that they made was Arturi Lekkinen going out to Colorado. Uh, and that was for a 2024 second and top prospect, Justin Barron. Hammond was traded for Nate Schneer straight up. That was more of a depth move because Allen came back healthy. And the one that I thought was going to happen, but like surprised me with the return mm-hmm. was Brett Kulak to Edmonton, which got a second round pick in this year's draft and a not not like a replacement but basically a body back in addition to that so i think i'll just say my thing right away i think this was a a fantastic trade deadline for montreal they maximized the hell out of charat um they got a pretty solid return on lekkanen i am sad that lekkanen's traded because he scored basically the biggest habs goal in the last like 30 years almost with that overtime winner against vegas to send them to the cup final then Hammond, they basically got for nothing. They traded away for a body. And then Kulak with a very good return, a UFA left shot defenseman. They got a second round pick and a player. So I'm really happy with that. <laughs> yeah, they friggin' fleeced Edmonton again, man. I guess when you offer a trade to Ken Holland, it's not really hard to win that because they got another defenseman. That's not their problem. But we're talking about the Habs here. They did very well. They're my team. I think my winner for the trade deadline. Once we go all through the teams, we can kind of say who our winner is. But as of right now, I think it's the Montreal Canadiens putting some thought to it. They, like you said, Joe, they maximized the opportunity of players that were just not going to come back and to make sense to come back. Maybe Lekin and probably maybe he comes back. Uh, he's an RFA. We'll never know. I don't know if Colorado has the cap space to sign him back to their actual team. Both guys like Sherratt, like it made a total sense for them to go and uh, trade them. And <laughs> they got a first round pick for him. And we've all said, He's not going to get a first. He's going to get a first. He's not going to get a first. He's going to get a first. Got a first. Like, it doesn't matter anymore. All that speculation is gone. So, I mean, it's, it's a happy trend deadline, I would say, for the Montreal Canadiens. I'd, I'd probably, if I didn't give him a grade, I'd probably say in the A, A minus, A, A, I'd probably say A. Uh, I would say, like, A, A minus as well. It would have been a sweetener if they somehow got a first for Lekkanen as well, <laughs> but with Barron. But I think that was too much to ask for Colorado. Um, even if it was a first in 24-24, that would have been like A-plus for me. But Barron's a fantastic prospect. I had to read up a little bit on him, not going to lie. Um, but he, he, it's funny because we had our wants that we wanted, and mm. I got what I wanted. Yeah. So that was a Sherratt return and like a young right-handed D prospect or like younger player. 
that's what Barron is. 20-year-old first-round pick a few years ago. I mean, can't complain about that. Yeah, and like you said, wanting what you want. We'll go to the Toronto Maple Leafs next, and this is what I wanted. Uh, so they get Mark Giordano, Colin Blackwell on Sunday afternoon-ish, but it didn't take till after 5 o'clock for them to actually make the trade. So they get those two from Seattle for a second and 22, second and 2023, and a third and 2024. And then on uh, Sunday as well, they traded away Travis Dermott for a third round pick in 2022. Uh, so they got received that from the Vancouver Canucks. Um, solid, solid move for the, uh, the Maple Leafs. I think exactly what I wanted, exactly what I put in our notes, exactly what I said on Burning Leaf and this podcast. It's just simple. Um, you didn't pay too high of a price. The only thing that is, den- is denying that, or like saying I just said, if they don't win around, that will be the price because they're probably both leaving after that of the year. So I'd have to assume unless Giordano takes a massive discount. But yeah, no, I, I can't complain. Like that's what I wanted. So I mean, it worked. Yeah, and I think like they paid, like you said, they didn't pay too high of a price for both Giordano and Blackwell. I mean, Blackwell was basically like the third round pick, twenty twenty four. It was more yeah. like Giordano was the two seconds, obviously. And like Dubas said, like multiple times, they didn't want to trade top prospects or the first round pick for this year's draft because it's a really deep draft. And he got that done. They got the player they wanted that we were speculating even like not even just last episode, like a few weeks just in our group chats that that would be a good get for Toronto to get. They got him, played well in his first game, I guess. <laughs> Both didn't really watch it. Yeah, but didn't see it. Yeah. Um, and, then the, and then the return for Dermot. So obviously Dermot, I think he's an RFA. Mm-hmm. It kind of didn't work out for him here, even though he's from the area. Uh, they got a pretty decent return on him from Vancouver. But Vancouver, we'll get to another trade that Vancouver made later, but it was almost like they kind of got a third for free, almost. And they gave that one to Toronto for Dermot. Obviously, Dermot is, could, maybe could play better there because like they're, I don't know, it's not as much of a scrutinized market, Vancouver compared to Toronto. And he's an upgrade over one guy that they shipped out, I would say. Um, but yeah, I think the, the Leafs, if I had to give them like a grade for the deadline, I'd say like a B to B plus. Are you surprised that they didn't end up actually getting a potential goalie though? Uh, 50-50 on that. I think like they read the situation probably a bit correctly and said like, okay, like there's not many goalies out there. And if we are paying for a goalie, there was only one other upgrade, and it was Semyon Varlamov, even though he's not an upgrade because he himself has four wins this year, and he makes God. $6 million for the next – so this year and the next year, which is not really something I think they were inquiring about. And then if you wanted Anton Forsberg, I mean, sure, you could pay – I think the price was high, but he also re-upped, I think, on Friday or Saturday morning. So um they couldn't go and get him but no I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm surprised but like I guess obviously that trickles in right like when they had goalie issues Shalgren lost got shelled on Saturday night but um no I'm not really surprised but if I had to give a great job I think I would give probably the same BV plus they didn't go and wow me but they didn't go out and do something stupid or pay high of a price for someone that they really didn't was going to fit in the lineup and they didn't know at least you know what you're getting in Giordano right like a solid depth defenseman that's going to be on your team. He can play the big minutes, but if he can't, he's even better of a player. I know. And like, the thing is like, they kind of learned from last trade deadline with all the big swings that they did. And they all missed literally like the, obviously the Polino trade, then Dave Riddick played like what, two games and they gave up a third round pick for him. So they learned from the mistakes they made last year and they, like they, 
they didn't pay, like we said already, didn't pay too high of a price for Giordano, someone who they needed. They needed to address the defense. Um, and then they got like a depth forward in Blackwell who could maybe chip in if he plays in the right situation. So I think it was a pretty solid deadline for the Leafs. Like you said, nothing spectacular. Giordano's a nice name, even though he's not the same player as he was, you know, three, four years ago when he won the Norris, but still a, a, a pretty solid deadline for them. Yep. Okay. You go with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yep. So another Atlantic team here. So obviously the back-to-back cup champs. We'll, we'll get to the massive trade they made, which shocked me at the very least. And that was getting Brandon Hangel from the Chicago Blackhawks for two first-round picks in 2023 and 2024, plus Boris Kachuk, Kayla Radish, two whatever kind of middling prospects, if you want to call them that, they're 24 years old, two led to Tampa Bay, and they got uh, two fourth-round picks in 2023 and 2024. So that was the return to Tampa it was Hagel two fourth. They gave up two first and two roster players to uh, the Chicago Blackhawks for Brandon Hagel. Now, this is a huge overpay in the sense that if you have no idea who Brandon Hagel is, then you'd be like, why is he worth two first round picks? Um, and that's mostly because they wanted to rebuild the third line here. So Hagel's locked in for another two more years at 1.5 million, have, already has 20 goals this year. And it's having a great year. Maybe a shooting percentage will go down a bit in Tampa. But I think what they really wanted to do was rebuild that third line, like Goudreau, Coleman, and uh, Yanni Gord. So they went out and got Nick Paul from Ottawa for Matthew Joseph in a fourth-round pick in 2024. So that's two kind of similar players that were on that third line from last year. And they also picked up Riley Nash for future considerations. Um so what do you think of the of the Hagel trade specifically? And do you think that like those two trades specifically kind of what that's what Tampa wanted to do? They wanted to rebuild a similar looking third line. Yeah, it's safe to assume so, I think, because Hagel's playing on the third line. I believe we talked about the Hagel trade on Saturday morning we recorded, but we could still talk about it because now we know what they were doing. Now they know now we know what they were up to. And obviously acquiring Nick Paul kind of cements that they're going to rebuilding that third line of the Coleman, Goudreau, and Gord line. Um, I don't know if it would be better right now uh, with the guys they brought in, but, you know, I think Tampa's in that stage where they don't give a shit what they give up, man, as long as they win, right? And let's say they lose round one or round two or whatever round they lose in, you got two Stanley Cups, so it don't really matter. Um, if you're a team like Florida or the Toronto Maple Leafs trading two first-round picks for Brandon Hagel and then you don't win, you'll be even more scrutinized for not winning, uh, especially with just even making the trade for that matter, uh, trading all those guys, uh, the first round picks and two mid prospects. So uh, yeah, I think like if it works for Tampa, great, but if it doesn't, I mean, they still got two cups in their back pockets uh, that they can rely on and kind of brag about, but yeah, I think they really just made moves that they know what they're doing. They know what they have in their lineup and they know exactly who they want in their lineup. And those are two guys, three guys, if you count Riley Nash, um, who they want in their lineup. So I think they did pretty good. Like, I would say probably B, B plus for them. Yeah, I would say like B as well. Like you said, the two cups, even if it doesn't work out, they still have those two cups and they've been kind of, they had the same mentality when they won the first cup, when they won the second cup. So they're just continuing that mentality. We'll pay the first for a guy we think we need that fits the kind of holes that we're lacking. And if it works out, then they, then they three peat <laughs> and no one will say a word ever about those first round picks. So Moving on to a, another Atlantic team that made a lot of moves as well before the deadline, uh, mostly, and that's the Florida Panthers. So you want to get into them? 
Yeah, let's go right in. Um, <laughs> they made a lot of moves, and it's risky for that franchise because we talked about it. I, I think we already talked about the Sherratt trade, did we not? I believe so, yeah. Okay, so like we don't have to really go into detail about that, but obviously they get Ben Sherratt, the big fish defenseman on the market from your Montreal Canadiens for a first 2023, fourth in 2022, and prospect Ty Smolanik. Then they go out and get Claude Giroux, Germain Rubisov, Connor Bunneman, and a fifth for a first-round pick in 2024, a third in 2023, and prospect Owen Tippett. Then they go to Buffalo and get Robert Haig from them for a sixth-round pick. So it it tells me that they're all in. Um, The Florida Panthers, I mean, they haven't done the winning part yet, and I want to see them doing the winning part uh, for that matter because they have such a good team, right? Like, they constructed such a great team with their defense score. And their goalies are actually playing pretty good right now. And their forwards are unbelievable. Like they have Sam Reiner on the third line right now. It's crazy how they can do that. The guy's a point per game. He has like 60 points and he's on their third line putting up points. Um, yeah, like if it works out, it's going to be awesome for Florida. But if it doesn't, man, their window is a small window. And if they can't get past a few rounds or even put up a fight for that matter, it's going to be very rough down there. And they won't get the talk as the Toronto Maple Leafs would and the Montreal Canadiens would if they do the, did the, did these moves because they're in Florida. Like, nobody really covers them. And sorry to say, like, nobody really cares, right? Like, but it should be more talked about if this is a failure, right? A hundred percent. Like, they're going to be roasted so hard if they don't, like, never mind win a round, at least get, like, get to the third round. Like, the conference finals with the team that they have, we're gonna we're talking about this right now. Now we know that Ekblad is basically out with an ankle injury essentially till the start of the playoffs. If they're all fully healthy, they should be the favorite to come out of the East in terms of just pure firepower alone. Now I don't know if that's gonna work because, like you said, they're they have literally zero playoff history. Zero. They have won. They haven't won a first round in twenty five years. Mm. Uh, since they went to the cup final in their very first year, similar to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Florida. They're absolutely loaded, uh, like we just talked about. Um, and they're all in. They have no first-round picks for the next three years, similar to Tampa, but Tampa's won twice. Okay? Yeah, that's the so, difference, right? Like, Yeah. It's going to be tough. I, I will say they did get a great uh, deal on the Giroux trade. Hunter, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Flyers, man, we'll get into them soon, but my God, that GM is an idiot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> he lost that one, to say the least, uh, for that trade with the, with the Florida Panthers. Um, we can go to the Wild now if you want. You can start it off with the Wild on their surprising move on deadline day. Yeah, so this was like basically the first, I think it was the first trade of the day, or is that obviously the biggest trade of the day? Biggest trade, yeah. And now, yeah, and that was Marc-Andre Fleury, going from Chicago to Minnesota. So very close in distance, same division uh, for conditional second in 2022. And I think it becomes a first if like the wild make the conference finals yeah. or something, yep, that's something correct. like that. Yeah. And then they also picked up depth defenseman, Jacob Middleton from San Jose. So obviously they picked up flurry. They shipped out capital Kakinen to San Jose, picked up Middleton. They also sent a fifth round pick to San Jose with Kakinen to San Jose. And then I think this was, the same day or on Sunday, they got Nick DeLore from Anaheim for a 2023 third round pick. He already scored in his debut, I believe. Um, so again, like obviously look, we'll talk about more of the flurry trade 
because there was a lot of reports leading up to the deadline that he was just going to stay put in Chicago because he doesn't really have a no-move clause. It's more like um, they have to make sure to do right by him because he's like a Hall of Famer, make sure he's okay with wherever they send him. And he basically gave the okay for the trade to go to Minnesota. And now him and Kem Talbot, I guess, are going to split starts down the stretch. Uh, and I assume, based on a flurry kind of plays up to his potential will be the starter for them going into the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> clearly with the move for me, it tells me that they either a don't trust Cam Talbot or B he's not healthy and he's not hundred percent right now. Um, or if they would have made another move that would impact their lineup even more greater and getting a forward or centerman, uh, like we all said in our group chats and like everyone's saying online, like they need forward scoring. Like they don't have a scoring besides Kaprasov and the odd Fiala tally on the third line and second line and power play. Um, yeah, with this Flurry move, it's weird. Like I, I didn't think Minnesota would be on the radar for Mark Andre Flurry, and I, I didn't think he'd waive his no move clause to go to uh, Minnesota, especially because they have Cam Talbot, right? Like he's been starting a lot of games. He's been playing well for the Minnesota. Just a weird scenario, right? Like I mean, like the other playoff teams need more of a starter and, you know, great for Chicago. They got value in a guy who they got for nothing. So, I yep. mean, they win the trade, I guess, in a sense, because I don't think he's coming back to Minnesota and I don't think he might get much of the starts. Like I know they traded a, like a, almost a first round pick for him, but like Cam Talbot heats up. You're not just not going to bench Cam Talbot, right? No, definitely not. And like you said, he's he's won six straight starts. Like mm-hmm. the day they got Flurry, Flurry flew down to Minnesota for the game. So he backed up Talbot. Talbot, I don't know if he got a shutout, but he got the win. I think he did get a shutout. Three nothing. Because I have him in yep. fantasy. He's starting yep. a, and he's also starting again versus Vancouver. So Flurry came in back to back starts for Talbot to start. I don't really know why they wanted to get Flurry. I know Bill Guerin obviously had that close connection, won a cup with him in Pittsburgh as his teammate, mm-hmm. but it just like, it was really weird. Like you said, like good for them for like making a splash and like good, great on Chicago for getting a good return because I don't think he's going back to Chicago. Who knows? He might even retire after this year. No one really knows but him. Um, but yeah, so that was the wild trade deadline. I guess I would give them like a B, B minus, like, because they really, like we talked about, they needed forwards, like mm-hmm. scoring forwards, like centermen, because they're very weak at center. And the only forward they got was a fourth line, Nick Delorey. Yeah. Oh, we also forgot to mention they picked up Tyson Jost from uh, the Avalanche for Nico Strom. That's so that's a, that's a depth kind of scoring piece, but he's not like a someone that could help and like an impact player, I would say right now. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, like I would get maybe a B minus because it's kind of doesn't really make sense for them to get flurry. But if Talbot, like you said, maybe he's not healthy or they don't trust him, that then yes, maybe it was essential for them to get him. Yeah, no, I'd give the exact same grade to be honest. And honestly, I have like a like a small feeling. I think Flurry's done after this year. Like I don't think he would waive his no move clause in the last minute of the trade deadline to like just re- like keep on going right like i don't know it's just a small feeling for me i don't think flurry's coming back after this year so minnesota going to run he needs another cup he needs to win his cup since 2009 right <laughs> um i know as that bona fide starter yeah as a bona fide starter um we'll go to the rangers they had a weird one for me at least um so they get justin braun from philly for a third on deadline day you get andrew cop from winnipeg that was the big one on deadline day and they mm-hmm. also got tyler mott uh the return for andrew cop was 
two conditional seconds in 2022, a fifth in 2023, and a prospect Morgan Barron. Don't know how good he is, but um, that was a high price for that guy. I mean, uh, like on a really good team, I think he's a really good third liner. Um, on the Rangers, he's going to be have to play, I guess, more top of the lineup. But at the same time, I'm like, oof, that's a really high price for a guy. You know what you're going to get in him. Yeah, like, like you said, and the weird thing about the Rangers is that all these moves are made on deadline day, mm-hmm. and they're all, like, late. Like, the cop and mock trades happen, like, I think, like, the last 30 minutes, if That's I'm not right. mistaken. Yep. Like, the Braun they got in the morning, I think, and then cop and then Mott were, like, later in the day. And the cop, like, the conditions on the seconds are, like, very confusing. Yeah. Um. So, it, it was just a weird trade for the Rangers. I thought they were going to go more big game hunting. They have a lot of guys, in my opinion, that are like a Tyler Mott. Cops obviously has more skill than some of their other guys, like uh, like Brad Hunt or something. Or they, he has a little bit more skill than that. But again, like they paid a pretty heavy price for him. Like Justin Braun's a decent get uh, for their blue line, steady defenseman, defensive defenseman, because they're not great defensively, no matter what place they're in in the standings. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know, like the Rangers, I thought they were going to go a little bit more bigger. Like I, th- I thought maybe they'd get, I don't know if a Giroux would have waived his no trade, but maybe another one of the forwards that got traded, mm-hmm. like an Artur Lekkinen maybe. Yeah. I would say like Lekkinen and Kopp are comparable maybe, but I don't know. But yeah, it was a really weird deadline for the Rangers. And again, all these moves happened on the Monday. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a big one too. Um, Like that's not something that should be looked over because – they obviously didn't find value in other players before that. And they had to, I guess, kind of, I, I guess you would call it overprice the players that they got. Like a Mott's not nothing. He's a fourth line player, but Andrew Kopp, like, I guess they really wanted him, right? They traded two conditional seconds that ultimately one of them, or I believe both of them can turn into first round picks, which is very scary. <laughs> um, Good Lord. If you're the New York Rangers, uh, Winnipeg, you should be ecstatic because you got value in a guy. Um, that got you good, really good value um, over his price. But it's weird. Like the, he's a really comparable player to a lot of players they have in their bottom six. And I think it's something that the New York Rangers didn't need. They had a guy in Pavel Buchnevich who they basically gave up for free in this matter. And at this point in time, right? Like Sammy Blaze out for the year. Buchnevich is doing very good for the Blues. That's the type of player the Rangers need in their lineup. And he was given away for free in the offseason. Uh, I don't know if they're going to try. I know I don't know if they're backtracking what happened in the offseason now, but Andrew Kopp is no Pavel Buchnevich. So you're getting a very solid two-way player in Andrew Kopp. You he won't shoot out the lights, but he can get you a goal or here or there. It's just I think so, they screwed up that one in the offseason very badly. And I think they have to retrace their steps in the offseason, in this offseason for that matter, to get a guy like Buchnevich. Uh, if he's on the market or somewhere like RFA offer sheet, something that you're missing a big guy, especially because the other guys, like we talk about immensely, uh, Lafreniere and Kako have not been it for them, right? Like if they're good for the Lyric Rangers, they're in a lot better place right now than they are. So, and with the Igor Shesterk, and that helps as well, because, you know, could win the heart, could win the Vesna, but he's come down to earth a bit the last couple of games. So New York Rangers are a weird one. Like they're a team that like, they might kill toss in round one again. They can because, like we talked about, like if Shesterkin doesn't stand on his head, make 45 saves, 35 saves, or whatever it is, then they have like no chance. Like, as he's just said, like he's been slipping a little bit and they just get blown out if he's not playing well. Like, 
I think over the weekend they beat Tampa and Carolina. And then, well, Gorgiev got a shutout. That was yeah. like out of nowhere. <laughs> and then Shesterkin, Shesterkin outdueled Vasilevsky, and they won like in the last couple seconds, the Rangers did. So, uh, like, I've never been sold them all year. They could score. They could score on the power play. Like, their top six is, is talented. If only those two picks, like you said, Lafreniere, Kako, were any good because they're not good. Like Lafreniere has one more goal than last year. He has the exact same assist. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that was supposed to take the next step. Had a very, like a bad rookie season, not rough. He had a bad rookie season yeah. for his standard, like for what he was supposed to be. Mm. And he has not rebounded. So I think, like you said, they kind of screwed up. And I don't, I don't really. If they play Pittsburgh in the first round, I don't like their chances at all. They're gonna get, they're gonna get caved in because. Pittsburgh is like on an eye test and analytics team. Like they're amazing. Like no one talks about them a lot this year because you know, they're Pittsburgh. They're always good. So, and they just, they added another guy that we'll, we'll get to shortly here to help them out. But I just don't like their chances that much this year. Like, yeah, they could be Kreider's going to score 50 goals, half of them on the power play, but I don't know. It's just a weird Rangers team for me. Yeah, no, I think the right word is weird for sure. I would say that as well. Um, we'll go to a not a weird team. They're a very good team. The Colorado Avalanche, who made the trade, obviously getting a Turi in for Montreal for you guys. Uh, so you announced their moves. They didn't make a lot. No. So they also added Josh Manson, but I think we talked about that last yeah. episode. So on deadline day, they added Arturi Turi in for Montreal. This was, I think, at two o'clock. So pretty late, like just before the deadline, basically. Because I remember, like, I remember, like, reading reports. It's like, oh, Lekkinen's on the ice. Okay, he's not getting traded. They got traded after the morning skate or whatever because they played that night. So, like, we already talked about it. Second in 2024, Justin Barrett. They they didn't pay a first, which is a win for Colorado, I guess, but they gave up one of their best defensive prospects. And then they went and got Andrew Cogliano from San Jose for a fifth-round pick in 2024. There's a funny interview with Cogliano. The guy's basically played on every Western Conference team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pretty sure he's played on, like, seven or eight teams, and they're all Western Conference so that's a pretty funny get. Again, these are two. They don't need top heavy guys. They have their they have their big guys. They needed more, I guess, depth around the lineup, tinkering here and there, probably getting ready for some playoff hockey. Those are two playoff guys that they got there, especially Lekkinen. Even even with that goal he scored to send them to the Cup final, he has mm. he's had some other good moments. I remember yeah. in the bubble versus Pittsburgh, I think he scored the winning goal in that game four to eliminate Pittsburgh. So he's a pretty good playoff player. Yeah. That's what the Avalanche were looking for at this deadline. Yeah. I mean, like it, there's, you see the games played for players, like a guy like Lekin and you see like, Oh, it's probably like 30 games, 20 games, 40 games around there, but it's the moments where you shine is where like the overtime, you need a clutch goal. Okay. Lekin's there. He got you the goal, right? Like it doesn't really matter how many points you get in the playoffs. As long as the moment is bright when you get that point. Um, like, and definitely does that, but like you said, Joe, the avalanche did not need to go big fish, big fish hunting, uh, for their players. Uh, they traded seconds for their guys, but you know, in the long run, if they do go on a big, uh, run, it's worth it because these guys are going to help a lot around the lineup. Uh, they had a few like AHL guys in their bottom six. And I didn't think that was right. I think they needed to upgrade on them and they did. So I think I'll give credit to Colorado here. Um, you know, if they do a going to run, I will say their moves are an A minus because they will be impactful. They will be. We'll see it. Um, 
so yeah, I'll give them an A minus. But if it like, if it doesn't work out, they got a lot of things to do. Joe Sackick, we call him a wizard, but you know they haven't done the winning either. They got to round two and just kind of like blank out. Like they at least they got to round two, and I can't even joke about it because I'm a Leafs fan. But it's the way they go in round two. Like four straight losses to Vegas, two poor games against San Jose in 2019. Um, it's just the effort level that comes down to it for the Colorado Avalanche winning these games. So as long as they're healthy, they'll they'll be fine. Yeah, like you said, like like we can't say like oh Joe Sakic like it was a whiz again, but like like you said, they haven't done winning. They can just get to the second round. I've stalled there for the last what three four years. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like the Capitals right now to me, <laughs> who always ran into Pittsburgh in the second round and lost. But they got to do it quick because they got to pay Nathan McKinnon. Nazem Kadri's having a career year. He's definitely leaving at the end of the season. Yeah. I th- is Kemper a free agent? Yeah, he is. All right, so they got to win this year. <laughs> Plain yeah. and simple. Like, they have no goalies coming to take over the number one spot in terms of prospects. They can't waste a career year from Kadri right now. Um, like, they tinkered a bit. They got They got to do damage this year. Yeah. They got to. Yep, I agree. Uh, we'll go to the next team that, you know, also does damage in the playoffs, but their trades have been iffy recently and their signings have been very iffy when getting guys. Um, but I'll go to the big trade they did on Saturday night. Uh, we didn't obviously talk about it because it happened Saturday night. They got Hanfus Lindholm for the Anaheim Ducks for a first in 2022, second in 2023, second in 2024. John Moore's contract, basically. And Yuho Vakaninen, uh, defenseman, uh, I guess you call him prospect depth defenseman. He's kind of playing games right now for the Bruins. And then they also re-upped Hampus Lindholm to a $6.5 million deal for eight years. Uh, so they went the distance for him. Obviously, they owned him. They could have signed him with eight years. I'll talk about the other moves, then we'll go back. Uh, they get Josh Brown from the Ottawa Senators for a seventh, uh, and a seventh, sorry. And they traded their boy in the one, two, three picks. They, they had Zach Senishin in a fifth to Ottawa. <laughs> And then the, one of the guys they got in the one, two, three, four picks, uh, Jacob DeBrusque signs a $4 million deal. That's per season for the next two years. I really thought it was a lateral move for another franchise to get him at the deadline, but obviously it wasn't. Could be in the offseason for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of this ham Lindholm trade and signing. I, I don't like it. Like, we can say that he can get back to the form of 2016, but that, like, that's six years ago. Like, can't talk about a guy six years later and hopefully gets back to that form right no and like they they paid like way too much for him they paid way too much for the hampus lintholm that's playing now that's the problem Mm -hmm. so you just talked about oh hopefully he gets back to playing the 2016 way like you said six years ago they paid a price like he was playing six years ago Uh, yeah so like they got fleeced here in this trade i think the first and two seconds for a guy like, like, again, we'll see. I think he's making his debut tonight. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if he's playing with McAvoy. I don't know the lineups there. But if he, like, rebounds, he's not that old. So, like, eight years is is not great at all. Like, eight <laughs> years is not good. Like, it should, if it was 6.5 for four years, I would say, okay, it's, I've seen worse. But for eight years, that's bad. <laughs> he's not the player. Again, he could rebound. He's only 28. Well, only. He's 28, so it's not like he's fallen off a cliff. He's also been playing for a terrible Ducks team. That doesn't really help him. But if he can get supported in Boston, because, you know, everyone who goes there seems to do decent uh, at the very least. Not always, but um, we'll see if he has a bounce 
back, but he's not going to live up to that contract. And then that price they played, Pat Verbeek, that was a nice fleecing there. Yeah, dude, all the selling general managers did a tremendous job this trade. Yeah. We'll, we'll go through some of the teams that I think very did very well for themselves and their future. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't love it. I don't love it for the Bruins. You know, like Joe, we could be wrong and they probably win around. Like it doesn't, but like I, at the end of the day, I just don't think that the long-term process for this trade works in the now. Sure. But I don't know for me, it just doesn't really move the needle in terms of like getting a good guy for value. Uh, the same yeah. value that the other team got more. But anyways, um, yeah, that's all the Bruins I have to say. I really thought Jake was going to get moved by the end of the day, but obviously he didn't. Um, that was weird. But it's a solid contract like for what he's doing. Yeah, if you if you like, I guess he's the new first line winger for them when Bergeron's <laughs> healthy. He's with Marshan, so because they broke up the Pasternak because yep. their depth scoring is not great, even though it should be a lot better than it is. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a decent contract. Again, maybe a move for the off season. So we'll see what happens with DeBrusque there. Yep. All right, you go with the other selling team that we just talked about. Um, well, we didn't really talk about them, but they had to make moves in order for, to make up lost time in that expansion draft. So you go ahead with them. So they sold half their lineup, essentially, and that is the Seattle Kraken. So in three second-round picks in 2022, a fourth in 2022, 2023, a second, third, fourth, sixth, a 20, in, 2020, in 2024, a third and a seventh, Daniel Sprong and Victor Rask were added to the Kraken. Oh, Kelly Young Crook went to Calgary. Mark Giordano, Colin Blackwell to Toronto. Jeremy Lazoon went to, who did he go to? Nashville. Nashville. That's the only trade Nashville made. Mason Appleton went back to Winnipeg and Marcus Johansson went back to Washington. Hmm. So they, we roasted Seattle. They got a haul of picks here. I would have loved that they somehow got a first for one of the guys they traded away like either a Giordano or maybe a Jan Kruk. Don't think you could have gotten a first for him. Giordano is maybe the only one you could have maybe gotten a first for. But again, they got three second-round picks in this year's draft. That's essentially more than a first-round pick there. Um, but yeah, like the thing that we were roasting Seattle on at the expansion draft and like throughout the season, they, they ended up doing it because they <laughs> sold like a line, basically. Yeah, They sold two defensemen and four forwards. So they did their due diligence. They added Sprong, who I think scored in his debut as well, mm -hmm. the Washington trade. And, I, and, you know, this is the start of a painful rebuild for an expansion franchise. Vegas was a pure anomaly. That'll never happen again. Um, but, yeah, this is what, what a new franchise kind of looks like. A lot of selling off at these the first few deadlines, build up some assets, some picks build out the farm system. So I think the Kraken did well here considering of how badly they butchered the expansion draft and then any moves leading up to the season. Yep, exactly when I thought they <laughs> butchered it really hard um, going into the expansion draft because this is some of the moves I really thought they were going to do at the expansion draft, get like a fourth yeah. and a prospect for a guy like Johansson, let's just say that, at the expansion draft, right? Um, the only move they yeah. did make was giving Vanacek back to Washington, which is the stupidest move because – Vanacek is the best goalie. He would be the best Vanacek goalie for the Kraken. Season. Yeah, really. He <laughs> saved the Washington Capitals season. Um, but yeah, a lot of like pretty talented guys they got rid of on the Kraken. And 
The only reason I'm not giving it an A plus is because they butchered it at the expansion draft. Um, I would yeah. like to see more players move, but unfortunately they had to wait till the last day to trade players, which is the trade deadline day. Um, but I can't get mad at them. Like they made a lot of good moves. Like they have a lot of picks the next couple of years. It's just, you got to hit on them. Um, yeah. One thing to get all the picks and if you can't hit on them, you, what's the point of making the trade, right? Uh, I found yeah. it very weird though. Russo said this as well. Like you name Mark Giordano captain for what, five months and you trade him. Exactly. That was so stupid. You should just name him as like three assistants and you'd be done with it. I found that very weird. That was, that was stupid. Um, because he's a good leader and he's been a captain before and Vegas didn't do it for at least, I think the fourth or third season that they entered the league in. And it was Mark Stone, obviously. And it's just weird, right? Like you got rid of the guy so quickly and you weren't hesitating at all because there was talks, but I think it started in December, January, they're trying to move Mark Giordano at the deadline and they did. <laughs> so yeah. I, don't know, I found it weird. It was awesome. And also, he played his 1,000th game. Like, <laughs> yeah. the game they were honoring him. The guy was a healthy scratch to save the assets so they could trade him. Crazy. Like, well done, PR team and management. That's embarrassing. Yeah. I, it's I, like, I, yeah, thanks, Gio. 1,000 games. The guy's in the press box. Like, he probably won't be remembered. Uh, people will probably forget that he played for the Seattle Kraken at the end of the day, right? I, I probably would think so. <laughs> like, you'll probably Never be remembered for Toronto. You'll probably be Toronto better. Like, Probably, yeah. I don't know. A weird one for the Seattle, but they made up for what they – actually, they kind of made up for what they did at the expansion draft, to say the least. But, yeah, I'd probably give them an A. They got assets, right? Can't complain. Yeah. Um, Another team we'll – the next two teams, oof, they definitely got a lot of assets for guys. So I'm going to talk about the Anaheim Ducks first because they did a tremendous job at the trade deadline. So in 2022, they have a first, a second, and 2023, a second, second, third, 2024, second, second. And then we're not even getting to the prospects. So we'll get to them now. Drew Hellison, Yoel Vakanainen, Dominic Smone, Zach Asteris, Kelly Clegg, Clang, sorry. And they don't get Yevgeny Dadunov in that trade. So it's a weird one because all those uh, rumors about the Evgeny Dadunov trade that was vetoed, to say the least, um, with the Vegas Golden Knights is not there anymore, so I can't put his name. But out the roster was very solid players and very good players that were in the run for a lot of the years when the Ducks were very dominant in the playoffs. Josh Manson, Hampus Lindholm, Nikolai Delorier, Ricard Raquel, John Moore, who <laughs> spent a few seconds and then went back to the ducks in the end because that trade wasn't going through. And then Kessler's contract is still on the ducks because it didn't go through. So a total mess from the ducks there, but in the end, they got a lot of value for a lot of good guys. Like it's almost like the, what Montreal did, except I think these guys meant a lot more to the, the team than obviously a guy like Charlotte. He was only there for three years, right? Obviously he went on the run. I'm not denying that, but Ricard Raquel's been there since the start. Hanvis Lindholm's been there since the start. Like, Josh Manson's been there since the start. Um, it's probably tough to let go of those guys as, like, a coach, a teammate, management guy. But at the end of the day, when you see value, you got to run for it, right? you got to take that value. Yeah, like, I would have them and Montreal as the winners of trade deadline. The only reason Montreal's a little bit ahead, not even because I'm biased, is because, like you said, like, they gave up a lot of well-known, like, players and assets like mm -hmm. obviously like like you said Ben Trout's three years and then all, all these guys were like their high profile name they played big roles when the Ducks were competitive uh mm -hmm. back in the day 
So, like, obviously, they're going to get probably better returns for them. And, and they really did. Papperby did a fantastic job here. And I really, I really do like where the Ducks are going. If they can just start to kind of um, – well, they already have their young guys playing well. If they could add a couple more defensemen uh, to the mix, I don't know what else they have in the pipeline other than Jamie Drysdale in terms of defensemen. Um, but again, they have all these picks, like you just said, they have a few prospects, um, a few guys, a few depth pieces that could, you know, maybe it's someone like Zach Aston who's a great defensive, um, like grinder type. Maybe you <laughs> want to resign him and keep him around. That, like, that's a good deal. Even Dominic Simone for some depth scoring. Um, it just more so start to, you see the pieces in the place. You see Troy Terry scoring 30 goals. Trevor Zegras having a Calder, uh, a very good Calder season. Yeah. And then obviously Drysdale. John Gibson's still there. Doesn't really fit the age um, of their of the other players, but I don't know. Like I like where the Ducks are going. Pat Ruby came in kind of like Ken Hughes halfway through the year, yeah. and then kind of did made the best of whatever the situation was given to him, and I, he did a really good job, I think. Yeah, and I think that's something we need to see a lot more GMs do, and not get scared when they get a job and the team's in no man's land basically, and they say, you know what, fuck it. We're, we're shipping the guys we love because you're going to get value for them. And that's what Montreal and Anaheim did very well. Like they didn't give a shit who they traded. They got value for them and it's going to help them in the future and long run. Uh, like you said, Joe, like with the Anaheim Ducks, it's weird because they're having a pretty good year. Not going to lie. Like for what I thought they were going to be, they're having mm-hmm. a pretty good year and it's now adding the pieces to get even better. Like they ho- sort of have all the draft picks in place it's now picking, it's now signing guys, it's now trading for guys that are going to help them and sort of get over that rebuild hump, which I think it's going to be very short. I think it's going to be another, I would say, two years uh, for them to be a lot more dominant because you have uh, John Gibson in his prime, probably at thir- age 31, he'll be, when they're good again, he'll be good. So it's the Getzlaff age. I don't know if they're going to be turning the page with that this offseason, but I'm surprised he didn't get moved if he wanted even to get moved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no buzz around him this year. Remember last year yeah. deadline, so much buzz around Getzlaff yep. this year. Absolutely nothing. Maybe he leaves as a free agent. We don't know. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know how much he's got left in the tank, but we'll see what happens <laughs> with him. <laughs> All right, another team. They did pretty good, not going to lie, for the guys who they got rid of. Uh, you could go with them with the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, so they did pretty good. Another rookie GM here in Kyle Davidson. Again, we just talked about guys who are hired late into the season he was like the most he was hired like two three weeks ago and made all these moves so he uh, he acquired a 2022 second round pick 2023 first round pick 2024 first and fifth round pick taylor radish and kachuk that we said already oh they sent ryan carpenter to calgary for that fifth uh flurry obviously talked about to minnesota for that conditional second hagel for the two first and then they also traded away those two fourth round picks in the brandon hagel trade so again, like we already talked about at length, the Flurry and, and Hagel deals, how it kind of didn't make sense for Hagel, maybe looking at the long term, but they saw two first round picks and you can't really, even if they are late, you got to hit on them, like you said, but Hagel was a little bit questionable just based on the fact that he was, he's only 23. He signed in for another two more years. Um, but I guess Tampa came with that offer right away. Cause I don't know if, Davidson negotiated having two first round picks. Maybe he did. Um, but Tampa kind of came with that offer, made it quick, and now it was done. Like, it's not like, oh, 
there was like a lot of back and forth with other teams. It was like, oh, Tampa two first. Okay, see ya. Mm-hmm. So I think the Blackhawks did pretty well. Obviously not as good as the Ducks that we just mentioned, but they had less pieces, main big pieces to give away here. I think the bigger questions come in the offseason that we talked about a couple episodes ago with Kane and Taze and the future of those two guys. Yeah, and the interviews that they've been giving recently don't look great. Um, No. But I will say, though, you know, you know the GM is going into a rebuild. Like, stop. I love Kaner. I love Taze. But you know the team is not good. Like, like you've got to turn a page at some point, right? Like, sure, okay, you don't want to be a part of the rebuild. That's fine. Like, but don't get all mad about it. Like, you know the team's not good enough to win. And if they are, you're going to be big parts of it. Taze is definitely not a big part of it anymore. Kane might be. No. And, you know, we've heard the rumors about Debrinka, you know, leaving if this team's actually going to go for a committed rebuild. I, I, I don't find that a good look on those players, to be honest, because – the situation they're in is not good. Like their team sucks. Like, come on, like you yeah, got to realize what they have there. And like I just said, if they are good, they're going to be parts of those teams uh, that are good, which is to bring in a game. They're the only two players that really consistently point scorers for that team and help the team win on a consistent basis when they do win. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I just find it bad looking on them because I guess you could use the word pissy in a way, like, but like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta know the scenario, right? Like, They've been on so much do- more dominant teams for the Blackhawks, and obviously this is not one of them. I think you got to realize, okay, like we're in a rebuild. Like, okay, let, let's let's turn the page here. But like we said a few episodes ago, I don't know if that's this offseason or when their contracts ends, um, or it's next trade deadline. We don't even know, right? Like, it's weird with these players and their money they're making ten point five for the next two. Um, it's not easy to trade those contracts and. It's it's not even easy to trade Kaner because he's ha- he has value like he still has value, <laughs> but Taze is going to be a weird one too because he doesn't have the value. Yeah, like we talked about a few episodes ago, like Taze he might retire after this year. Like uh, he missed all of last year. You could obviously see like he is not even close to the same player he used to be. Kane, like you said, still very good playmaker, could score goals, not as high as a clip as he used to, but. Very good on the power play, setting up any sort of sniper. The guy will find him no matter what. Ask the Brinkett. So, yeah, it's a weird situation for the Blackhawks. I think they do have to kind of look to the future. I mean, it's it's honestly up to them. Like, if they want to stay and retire as Blackhawks, they'll do that. Like, maybe they'll get extended to just cheap contracts and just play out the rest of their career in Chicago, however many years that might be. Or they could build upon their – they're basically Hall of Fame resumes by going after another competitive team, getting a fourth Stanley Cup, mm-hmm. more likely Kane than Taves, like I said. But, yeah, it's a definitely the end of an era. It already has been in Chicago, but once those two or one of them are gone, then you know it's done. Yeah. And if I'm a Blackhawks fan, my worst nightmare is seeing that to bring Kent News and be like, oh, shit. <laughs> Our best scorer <laughs> in years is going to be going as well on such a great contract um that's not a good luck but no yeah blackhawks did pretty good at the deadline too like ducks blackhawks kraken canadians uh the sellers were definitely the winners of this one i think we could both agree on that right 100 percent. yeah it was a seller's market so i mean they did pretty well in getting value for their guys um other one weird one dad and off the weird trade on monday that 
I, did it, it, it came in late as well. I, I think that was another reason why it didn't really go through. Um, if you're listening by now, you probably know what happened, I guess, or sort of know. If getting down and off would trade it to the Anaheim Ducks as a cap relief for the Vegas Golden Knights when they do get their players off IR, long-term IR, which is Leonard, Martinez, and Stone. Um, so that was some cap relief that they had to move for them to come off. And that was vetoed because it was brought in late and Anaheim was not one of the teams on the no trade list for Yevgeny Dadanoff. And that was submitted and not submitted by the Ottawa Senators. Of course, the Ottawa Senators not abiding to the rules whatsoever here. Again, uh, they didn't send their list to Vegas. Obviously, Vegas didn't know that information and, and traded Dadanoff. But like when I guess this kind of tells you that players have no idea what's going on in these negotiations, right? Clearly. No, absolutely not. No, it's like, I, I don't really blame them that no. much. Cause like they'll have agents, the agents should be the ones that are on top <laughs> of all of this. Like, I don't know if it's like, again, it, it seems to be Ottawa's fault that when they initially traded down off to Vegas, they did not provide to Vegas, his no trade list. Yep. And again, obviously Anaheim was on it. Vegas did not know. We already, I already talked about, I don't know why the hell they traded for him in the first place when the potential for Eichel was out there into the, at the off season, that's when they traded for Dadnoff. Considering the fact that he still has another year left on this deal, um, it was just such a bad look. So the, the trade has officially been vetoed after a few days of the NHLPA kind of overlooking it. So I don't know, like, do you feel bad for Dadnoff here? Because he did nothing wrong. He was traded to Vegas, did all right, not the best. He's not really on a good contract at all. No. And then he gets traded to Anaheim as a cap casualty because Vegas can't stop big game hunting if their life's dependent on it. And it's bit them in the ass. And now Dadanoff, they got to figure it out. I don't know what's going to happen. He still has another year left, so I don't know if they're going to buy him out or I have no clue. That's so the worst part. Trade. Yeah, it's just a weird trade overall. And then it goes back to Ottawa, who I'll mention a little bit later in the episode. Yeah, and I was just saying, like, that's the worst part. Like, he has another year left. It's going to be not even awkward. Just so you have to – you have $6 million and you don't want the $6 million. You need to get it out. Like, you need these guys to come off LTAR. Um, yeah. Ultimately, I think they'll figure it out. Like, they'll somehow figure it out. Like, I always say, oh, Tampa's not going to do it. They're cheating, right? Like, now Vegas is going to get stoned. They're going to get Martinez. They're going to get a whole lineup. I just don't how don't know how they're gonna get the whole lineup uh, to be playing the playoffs for Vegas, but that was a weird one. Never seen it in my life. Um, something else I never seen in my life, and I never thought I would see. But uh, basically, they got a, a. It's the first nine-year contract signed in the NHL in a while. Um, if you want to include the year prior, Sperry Kakaniemi signs an eight-year, four-point-eight million dollar deal. So, if you don't remember, he was RFA'd, offer sheeted in the offseason by the Carolina Hurricanes. To a one-year 6.1 was it yep and he obviously earned another contract for eight years um i don't see the earning but sure to put context he made 6.1 million this year carolina the only move carolina made at the deadline was acquiring max domi who we didn't really mention they only made one move, and that was it. And that's because this guy's making 6.1. <laughs> so he currently has 23 points in 60 games. That smells... He's playing on the fourth line. That smells 4 million to me. 4 million, almost 5. Yeah. 
I don't get it. I really don't. Like, Trocek's UFA, I think is he going to somehow go from a fourth-line winger to a second-line center in one year on a contending team? I don't see it. But I, I don't know what Carolina really see ever season in him. He was not great in Montreal. His best year was still his rookie year. Like, his rookie year, he has the same number of goals as he does right now. So he had 79 games, 34 points. He's not even getting – he might not even hit 34 points this year. He needs 11 more points. <laughs> he even hit his rookie year points and, and goal – I mean, just his points. But I don't see where the where the, the, the draw is for him anymore. Like, I was trying to be so high on him a few years ago. He's in his fourth year now, and he still doesn't do much. Yeah, this is a I, – I don't know how you see it. Like, maybe his analytics are good, but I've heard they're not, um, especially because, like you just said, he's playing not top six minutes, which um, a guy making that money should be, right? Like, come on, even $6.1 million you offer to him. You went out of your way to sign this guy for – a publicity stunt, I guess, for that whole thing that happened a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, the $20 signing bonus, remember? Like, it's... Montreal did them a favor <laughs> by getting Aho at eight and a half, for God's sake. Yeah, that, that's looking like a steal as well. Um, But, like, Kakayam, he's weird. Finnish guy. They thought he was going to fit higher in the lineup. Hasn't. Um, More guys in the lineup have been up in the lineup more than him. Kakayam, he's a weird guy, man. I like, I like him, but not worth the contract and the money he got. So... That's weird. But uh, another trade we obviously didn't touch on was the my biggest surprise at the deadline. Uh, Ricardo Raquel going to the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was rumored throughout the day to go to Vegas. Vegas, under the table, was trying to figure out all the data and stuff to get him. Another guy going to Vegas, goddammit. Um, and then the New York Rangers. Didn't go there. Yeah, honestly. And then the New York Rangers went on Ricardo Raquel. And then at like 3.15, Ricardo Raquel to Peng- Penguins. I'm like, oh, that's a big ad for the Penguins, no? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, on their second line, I think is they're struggling. Well, not struggling, but, like, they they could use another offensive player, a guy that could score some goals, because they do have Danton Heinen playing there most nights. And I would say he's more suited as a third-line type of player. So Raquel fills a hole there. So their top six looks like Crosby, Rust, Gensel, Malkin, uh, Raquel, and... Rodriguez. Like throw Evan Rod- Rodriguez in there. They have Jeff Carter on the third line with like Heinen in now. So like they they bolstered I think I don't know if it was a weakness because they could score Pittsburgh, but they they could have used another kind of score on the in the like secondary score, and that's what Raquel is. Um, so they did that was a pretty good trade. The and the return Anaheim got was solid, mm-hmm. but I think Pittsburgh if they want one last kick at the can because I think this is their last year. Because they got Malkin, Latang, Nawarkel as a UFA. Um, I think this might be their last kick at the can, Pittsburgh. So we'll see how it goes with them. Yep. Not even to mention Russ is also a UFA. Yeah, uh, Russ is as well. Yeah. Good luck <laughs> getting all three, yeah, all four done. of these guys signed. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. If Pittsburgh goes far, he'll be a big part of it. We saw Phil Castle yeah. a few years ago dive right into the playoffs and kind of make an impact right away. It's just where he's going to fit in the lineup is the question. I think most, they also have Jason Zucker on LTIR. He's been a monstrosity of a trade for them. Uh, That was an awful one, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much it on the trades. Unless you want to touch on something else that we didn't really mention. No, I think that's all. 
All right, we'll go to the Hard Hat Award. Where does the best player play in the last NHL week? Um, since our last recording, basically, both Nashville guys, I picked a Nashville guy last week. I'm going to do it again because this guy has been an unbelievable player for the franchise, and he may not even be the best player because that's your guy over there. But I'm going with Philip Forsberg, seven points the last three games. Uh, he's the first Predators player to hit 35 goals in a season, a single season. So that's their single season record. And then he hit the most all-time goals. I forget the number, but it's in the 200s or the mid-200s, something like that. So he now leads <laughs> Predators in basically all-time goals. That's crazy. Like, he's only 27 years old, and he's already doing this on such a young franchise. I know it is a young franchise, but it's weird to see players that we didn't even grow up on just set records, like, that are still playing today, and they have a few more left years left and playing, right? Like, it's weird. But Nashville's had a good year. Thought they should have got rewarded at the deadline by Poyle because uh, they're having a very good year. Ultimately, they weren't. But if they're going to get 35 goals plus from him and Duchesne, sure, why not? Oh, yeah. The, they're big deadline acquisitions where guys are already on the roster. And Duchesne and Johansson having easily their best seasons in Nashville. Maybe mm-hmm. not Johansson, but Duchesne a thousand percent. So I think that's what I think that's what Poyle was kind of thinking. Like he didn't want to spend too much. Like I agree he should have maybe gotten some depth scoring or maybe another defenseman. But, um, but like, I think he looked at it like Duchesne's going to score 40 goals and he had like 10 last year. I didn't have that last year. Now I have it this year. And they made the playoffs last year. So um, Nashville, like you said, like I, I low-key like, like them like this year. I don't know if I like them to like upset the first round because I don't know who they're playing yet. But like, I kind of like, I like the makeup of their team. And I like, like, their identity. Like, they're, like, a hard-working team, but they have, like, I'm going to talk about my guy now, a guy that might not win the Norris and put up 100 points, potentially, and Roman Yossi, who's my hard hat award winner for this week. So three games played, six points in, in three games, two power play points, one goal, five assists. But it's more so he has 25 points, I think, in the last 12 games or 11 games or something. Like, ridiculous. Now he's at 78 points in 60 games so far this year, which leads all defensemen in scoring. Uh, he's been a monster this year. In Nashville, they have a couple of – they have like Forsberg, Yossi, and Saros as their one, two, three punch at forward D and goaltending. So maybe they'll make an upset in the first round. We'll see. Yeah, he is on a 10-game point streak as a defenseman. That's, as a forward, that's hard to do. And as a defenseman, it's pretty hard to do. Um, remarkable, remarkable numbers from Roman Yossi. He's been unbelievable for that team. I think he's sixth or seventh in league scoring. Um, I didn't think I'd be able to say that. I thought Makar would be the unanimous defenseman getting all these points, numbers of years. Even John Carlson in Washington was that for a while. But now Roman Yossi, too. God, man, he's been great. Um We'll go to the not-so-good award, the Golden Plunger. Flush the toilet for us. And it's the first time in a while I picked a player. And you picked a team as well. They deserve it. But I'm not (laughs) – for my guy, my player is Sean Monaghan. Poor guy. I agree with our buddy Russo. Um, The injuries have not helped Sean Monaghan in his career whatsoever. But – when you're getting healthy scratched, you're noticed as one of the best Calgary Flames players of all time. And he is. I think he's up there for one of the most uh, regarded players, for sure, in that organization. He's healthy scratched for the first time in his 
career. I think in his rookie season, or Russo mentioned it to us, I think him and Goudreau got uh, suspended, one game suspension from their own team because they missed practice and they went together to practice and they missed it. <laughs> um, but it's just the downfall of him was so drastic. Um, 78 or 82 points in 1819. And now he barely has eight goals in the league this year, especially how good the Flames are doing. You'd think, okay, this guy has some points. Oh, he doesn't. He's been on the first line power play unit, hasn't had first line minutes, hasn't had second line minutes, hasn't had third line minutes, fourth line minutes for Sean Monahan this year. Uh, the downfall is real for this guy. They may have to bite one in the ass this offseason, trade a first and along with him to just clear his cap room. But yeah, downfall is bad. Like he's one of my favorite players when Sean Monahan and Johnny Goudreau were going at it in Calgary, like just going at it on teams, getting points. Chemistry was unbelievable. Now to see this is pretty sad, but not his fault in the sense as a whole, but at the certain point when you're getting healthy scratch, you got to do something about it. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Like it's more so he's such a detriment to the team now. Cause they're so good. And he's like literally holding them back, like play wise and cap wise, because <laughs> they, they got to sign three major, major pieces in the off season, Johnny Goudreau, Matthew Kachuk and, and um, Andrew Mangiapani. And they got him and Lucic making six million on the fourth line. Like Lucic has been solid, but he's obviously still not worth six million. But he is great. He's been great in Calgary. Like let's be honest here. Like he's been like for what he can do. Obviously, don't look at it. Like try to separate the cap hit. Mm-hmm. If you had him at like two million, like that's perfect. The guy already has like ten goals this year. Like that's solid for a guy who's physical. You know could still move decently well and could score like the odd time and is obviously tough as hell. So it's more on him because if he's not scoring, he's not doing anything Exactly. and he's not scoring. That's the problem. So that's why he's a healthy scratch. He's only like 28 or 29 years old. Like it, it is really sad. Like you said, um, and he just literally fell apart. Um, so that Calgary has got to figure out what they're going to do in the off season. However far they go, if they win the cup, Oh, who cares? They can keep him on for the right. You can keep him on then. Who knows? Yeah. But I'll go with my team here. We, I briefly, we briefly mentioned them in the dad and off debacle there. And that is the Ottawa Senators. And they're here for like multiple reasons, not just the dad and off one. So the main one is the dad and off. They did not, apparently did not submit the trade, the no trade list to Vegas when they originally traded him there. That's already an L because they're basically the ones that fall for that not going through and screwed, I guess, two teams, mostly Vegas, obviously. The second one was trading for Travis Hamanick, <laughs> who has who was on waivers earlier this year. He is signed for another year at over $3 million. And they and apparently he's a locker room cancer, according to reporters from Vancouver, who the players were pumped that he's out of the room. <laughs> That's another one. The third one was trading Nick Paul because they were like less than five hundred grand off of negotiations. So they let a guy that they homegrown talent, well liked in the room, Warren A on his jersey. They trade him for a fourth round pick, like good for Tampa because they got a he's a player that they need for playoffs. But to not extend him by five hundred grand, it's not like he was making five million. You went from I think it was like two point five to three 
for like three or four years. You're telling me you couldn't go 500k more. That's three. Three. Number four was first of all the Matt Murray contract's awful. I can't totally blame him because at the time it wasn't as bad as it is currently. But instead of flipping Anton Forsberg at the deadline, maybe looking back at resigning him in the offseason, they gave him another extension at, what was it, almost $3 million? Yeah, I honestly don't love it, to be honest. I don't either, because they don't, like, they could have traded him because he was playing so well. He could have maybe gave him to a team looking for some depth goaltending for a pick, maybe. Right. That's four moves right there. And that was all, like, in two days. Yeah, um... I, I would piggyback on all those statements for sure on the Ottawa Senators. Just like they got Sanford, right? Hopefully a piece in the future. Not even to mention, this is the weirdest part. Nick Paul had to change his number twice as a member of the Ottawa Senators in two years because they got Sack Sanford. And what do they do? They traded both of them <laughs> on this deadline to the Winnipeg Jets and the Tampa Lightning. Not that that really matters, but they are not doing a great job of building that team that they want to uh like you said joe like nick paul would have been perfect for that team in the playoffs if they were to get to the playoffs anytime soon he's that type of guy in the third line and obviously he goes to tampa he's gonna be perfect there um cheapness overall arena sucks in that location we could just throw it all at the ottawa centers but until they start hitting that curve uh, that bend that light at the end of the tunnel we'll keep bashing on them as we all do do so uh, that's the end of Golden Plunger. We'll go to what you say, Jason. What are we playing? What you say? And this guy, I mean, <laughs> what a workhorse on deadline day. Not even deadline day. All the days leading up, and he—I didn't know this, Joe. He does this a lot. Like he did it last year, but it wasn't as popular because it wasn't coming like boom, 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 boom every second. But Kevin Weeks, our guy, um, Kevin Weeks, breaking news. Um, every location, every word, every player, every detail in a trade you want. It was in the tweet. It was in the video, like everything. But this is a compilation of all of the breaking news Kevin Weeks had to do on deadline day. So here it is for you. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking, news. breaking NHL fans. I'm you live here from the barbershop at the spot getting ready for a trade deadline tomorrow. We see coming to you live from the studio. We see coming to you live here from I-84. Uh, just in front of the Hudson River. Coming to you live here from Cliffside Park in New Jersey. Here in the hotel room, literally in the closet. Stay tuned. Yeah, I find it hilarious that he does this every time, but awesome to see. We were tracking that all day and it was absolutely hilarious. Like, <laughs> it's like Sunday night. He's in, he's at his home, whatever, breaking a trade. Then he's in his car. I-95. <laughs> I'm on the I-90 here. I'm pulled over with my hazards on. <laughs> that was hilarious. And, like, tracking it all day was even better. And, like, honestly, good for Weeksy, man. Like, he's, like, a funny insider like that. That's a, like that's a, something that's different, you know? Like, no one else does that. And I like how he's like, hey, hey, folks. Hey, NHL fans. It's, like, always, like, it's not like he says the trade. He's like, oh, hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah. He says the trade, and then he, like, repeats it. It's so funny. Yeah, I, I honestly – I'm a Kevin Weeks guy. After these videos, yeah, even more like of a Kevin it. Weeks guy. So, funny stuff yeah. from Kevin Weeks on deadline day, to say the least. Um, yeah, so that's what you say. We're going through the Battle of the Buds, where I completely just <laughs> choke this week. Um, the Sabres let me down last night in a shootout. They won that over the Penguins, who I picked. 
Uh, the Flames, for once, let someone, some one of us down. <laughs> you I lost know. that game versus Sharks. Yeah, a certain, a certain Flames fan was not happy about that game. No, not at all. But I was one and two this week. You were two and one. We'll get to my picks first. I'm going to go with the Flames, who are the home team on March 25th against the Yotes. Uh, I'm going to go with the Bruins, who are the home team to the Islanders on March 26th. And I'm also going with the Blues, who are the home team against the Canucks on March 28th. Solid picks there. So I have the Flyers visiting the Avalanche on March 25th. Then I have the Avalanche winning at home. Then the Lightning visit the Islanders on March 27th. I have the Lightning winning on the road. And then the Kraken visit the Los Angeles Kings. And I have the Kings winning at home on March 28th. All right. Solid picks around. So we're post-deadline. Do we have a spicy meatball incoming? Okay. This one's, like, tough because, like, the Atlantic made a lot of the big moves. So I'm just going to say, like, a, a team from the Atlantic is going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Yeah, I'll say yeah. Yeah, why not? Okay. I'll say yeah. They have the strongest built teams in the league. Maybe Colorado and the Flames can put up a fight against those guys. But built-wise, like, going out and trading for guys, I think they did the best job out of the team's um, in the Atlantic division for sure. And even in the Eastern conference, like they went out and got what they needed. Um, all those teams don't know if it's going to work out and it obviously can't work out because there has to be one team that goes to the Stanley cup finals in the Eastern conference. And that can be from any division. So I'll say, yeah. And I want to get back to, uh, the things that were right and not right with the Joe spice meatball this year. So you said chicken will be traded to an East team before March. That is not correct. I was right. in saying no, nope. And then trade deadline would be a snooze fest. I just put yes, but I think we can agree it's both. Yeah, right? Like it was yes, yeah. All the big moves were like Jerusha, Dano. Like that Saturday, Sunday was like <laughs> good, but the Monday was not good, except for Flurry really in the morning. So I guess we uh that's all the ones, right? Like, yeah, that's all the one. Yeah, a lot of them are still undecided. But yeah, I think I think they have a very good chance. Like Florida, I think we're the obvious ones are Florida, Tampa. I want you to throw the Leafs in there. God, they don't win. But the Boston Bruins, maybe. Because the Boston Bruins are right up the Leafs' tail, man. They are. Like, that whole Atlantic's a dogfight. Because, like, if you pull up the standings now, and they all play each other, too. Yeah. Like, isn't it, like, like I think I heard on the radio, it's like the Leafs played all both Florida teams, so Tampa, Florida, five more times combined. And there's, like, less than 20 games left. So yep. five of the next, like, what, 18, 19 games is versus two of the top three teams in the league so yeah and it's the two teams you're going to have to play in the playoffs if you win around even too yeah so so right now the Leafs are in second looks like Florida might win the division because they're five points ahead of the Leafs one game in hand Tampa's one point behind with one game in hand Boston's two points behind with the same number of games that's going to be tough it's going to go right down to the wire I think like Florida's leading right now a decent lead not much of a lead um, but even the Metro is the same thing because Carolina's at 90, Pittsburgh's at 88, Rangers are at 85. So it, it's going to be tough for the East, man. The East is absolutely loaded. And then you have the Western Conference teams are just pulling right out of the race at the deadline. <laughs> yeah, all, half the Western Conference is pulled out of the deadline. All right, that's it. Joe Spicy Meatballs packed in post-trade deadline. We'll 
have more once we go down the stretch. There's only a few games left in the regular season. So uh, I believe we're both in agreement that once the regular season ends, we will have the end-to-end awards. I think we did it last year and we just bashed on some teams and bashed on some players. So we'll probably yeah. do that again anyway. Um, but I think that's it. All the trades are done. No one can trade anymore. These are the teams heading into the playoffs, barring any injuries. Um, but yeah, that's it. End-to-end. We'll be back. Next week. Join us then. Woo!